0: our service this evening with a word of prayer and give you all a moment for uh, confession of sin. It's a silent prayer between you and God, your priesthood, to confess your sins and prepare your hearts for the intake and study of God's word. That's why we're here. So let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this privilege we have to gather together to study your word, to learn about you, to learn about your acts in history so that we can be prepared for whatever we face in our lives. Father, we just pray your blessing upon this time. Help us to understand. Let your Holy Spirit uh, make everything understandable so that when we have uh, situations in our lives, we can be strong and courageous as Joshua was uh, in Israel. Thank you for this time, and we ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Sunday we went through the first eight chapters of the book of Joshua in review. Uh, I've been doing a series on this book. Uh, whenever I've had opportunities, uh, the pastor has allowed me to get up here, and uh, I chose Joshua for many reasons. There's a lot of lessons we learn from, from this book, from the man, and from the incidents that happen that we can apply in our lives and help us overcome those challenges that we are going to face and uh, be prepared. Uh, Tonight we're going to get into chapter 9, which is an interesting chapter because the Israelites have conquered Jericho, they've conquered Ai, and most scholars believe Bethel at the same time. I'm going to turn this on and... Oops, that's not what I want. Well, I guess we'll forget that. But as you can see on the map, there's a city where the big explosion is. That's Gibeon. That's going to be at the heart of this uh, chapter, and we're going to review that. As I've said, these are very uh, short reviews of each chapter. Uh, for more detailed information, I presented in those chapters. You can go back to the archives on the church website and get, the, get all that information that i 'm kind of just running through here to get to the next chapter that we haven 't gone to, which is chapter eighteen but let 's start with chapter nine here tonight, and we see that uh, in this in this chapter israel 's enemies unite. This is the southern half of the uh, country of the land uh, they came in across the Jordan halfway between the, the top and the bottom, or the north and the south of the land. And Israel's enemies in the south decided to unite. They've seen two cities get wiped out, and so they're going to gather together. But not all the uh, cities had that uh, idea. Uh, the city of Gibeon decided to do do something different, which was they were going to try to make a treaty with Joshua and the Israelites. And so they uh, deceived them by pretending to be from a faraway land because God had said, well, Israel had deceived, they deceived Israel by pretending to be from a faraway country. They wore old clothing, they carried moldy bread and uh, dried out wine skins to make it appear that they had traveled along far away from a faraway distance. And so Israel is deceived, and this is the main point Israel does not seek God's wisdom. and and direction in how they handle this group that comes to them asking them to make a treaty. In fact, more than once, several times, they say, make a treaty with us, make a treaty with us. And so that should have been a red flag. Israel does not seek the counsel of the Lord. Uh, That's why the the Gibeonites' plan succeeds. They do, Joshua and the elders do make a treaty with uh, the Gibeonites. And... Doesn't take long before the deception was revealed. Uh, Gibeon was only a few miles away from uh, where they were, from uh, the city of Ai. So uh, it was quickly discovered, matter of days, that uh, they had been tricked. And they weren't supposed to make this treaty with other nations in the land. That was, goes back to Exodus 23. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles there real quick, Exodus 23 and verses 31 through 33. God says, I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So they had been warned even in Moses' day they were not to make a treaty with other countries or other cities in the land. But they did. And when it was discovered, some of the uh, Israelites wanted to go ahead and and kill them anyway. But whoops! what what Joshua and the elders decide to do is, is to make them slaves. They didn't want to break the oath or the treaty or the covenant they had made with them because it was in the name of the Lord and would have really uh, been shameful for them and for God's reputation if they had broke the covenant that they had made in his name. So they make, make them slaves, and one of the things we read at the, uh, in the last uh, verse of chapter 9 is that he made them hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation. And here's the, the thing, they went too far. And for the altar of the Lord. Now, that was a task that was assigned specifically to the Levites. The Levites were to do all the work for the temple or the tabernacle at this time. They were to do all the work. By having them, uh, uh, pagan uh, Gentiles, do that work, it it just wasn't right. It wasn't right, and so we we see later on in, in the reign of King Saul, he tries to, Atone for that and tries to kill the Gibeonites, but God punishes Israel because of the covenant that Joshua made with them. So God still held that covenant even into the days of Saul. And so what can we learn from, from chapter nine's, uh this deception that we, we saw? What we see is we need to seek wisdom from God in our decision-making. You know, if we're reading our Bible, we'll have a decent idea if we're praying. We'll get to understand what God's will is for us in this matter. And even if we don't, if we make it based on biblical principles, we're probably going to be successful. Now, I had a challenge, or not a challenge, but a question someone brought up from Sunday's service where I said that obedience basically guarantees you success. Now, if you remember that, maybe, you, maybe it kind of made you feel kind of weird, too. But what I meant was not success in a human perspective, in a, in a uh, wealth perspective, but a success from God's perspective. If, if you're doing God's work, what he wants to do his way, yes, you're going to be successful in that. Not going to guarantee riches or fame or whatever, but you will succeed from God's perspective if you're in obedience to what he's commanded. So just, just a clarification for that. So seek wisdom from the Lord in, in your decision-making. That's one of my uh, points from here, lessons to learn. Another is know that your enemy is out there. They're going to try to deceive you. They're not going to play by the rules. Uh, Mark's probably better uh, knowledgeable about this than most of us uh, because our enemy tries to deceive and tries to slander all these dirty tricks. Uh, we're coming into a political season of you know this fall, and... We need to be discerning. We need to be prepared and, and and knowledgeable that the enemy is going to try to deceive us in our lives, trick us, like the Gibeonites did, did to Israel and to Joshua. What else can we learn? Well, we need to honor our word and keep our promises. That's very important. You know, God uh, uses his word uh, and, and we do too. In fact, all our words are being recorded, I, I believe, in, in one of the Gospels it says. So your words will either uh, condemn you or they're going to, uh, I forget the opposite word of that. What's the word I'm thinking of? Acquit. Yeah, thank you so much. Acquit you or it will uh, condemn you. All right, so here, here's the question you need to ask yourself. You made a big mistake. I made a big mistake. Well, what, what do I do next? What do I do when I've made a big mistake, when I've gone against God's word, when I've done something we know and it's public? Confession. Own up to it. Take responsibility for it. That is always the answer to that question. Now what? Go to God. Confess it to him. And, and you know, ask his, his wisdom, his guidance in in. Alleviating the uh, gravity of, of the circumstances so that any will, you know, we're not tempted or tested greater than we can bear, uh, it says in the Bible. So if you make a big mistake, confess that as soon as possible because that way you can get right with God and move forward. Okay, so here's that map again. And as we get into chapter 10, this is the, the conquest of the southern part of the uh, promised land and that purple arrow from Gilgal on the right is Joshua's uh, and the Israelites coming to the aid of the Gibeonites because once they made that treaty the other five kings said oh yeah we'll show you guys and they go to attack them and make them pay for, for being traitors to their cause and so they invoke the treaty for Israel's protection and so Joshua comes down and they meet the five kings that had conspired uh, against the Israelites and were going to attack them. And they uh, have a big battle. And so in Joshua chapter 10, the five kings from the south, they all get together. They attack Gibeon. And uh, Gibeon and, the other, and, and those smaller cities around them, they cry out to Joshua. They, they come and beg Joshua for help. And, he, uh, and the Israelites go to their aid. Now we read in the chapter. uh, I'm just glossing over these things, but the Lord performs three great miracles in this battle. Now, if you've been through the uh, when I did this chapter, the three uh, miracles He does first He confounds the the uh, army of the south southern uh, Canaanites, so they couldn't they were confused. They couldn't uh, you know get things going. They weren't united. He sent large hailstones after they had, uh, when, they, when the southern army started to flee, after Joshua and uh, the Israelites uh, were winning the battle, they ran away, but God sent uh, hailstones. In fact, we read in the text that uh, more, more of the soldiers from the uh, southern uh, kings died from the hailstones than from the uh, actual battle, the swords of the Israeli soldiers. And then the last thing was he stopped the sun. Joshua's cried out, God, make the sun stop so we have time to finish this. And God listened. He stopped the sun from setting. And that is in uh, chapters t- or verses 12 through 14. Verse, verse 14 says, there was no day like that before or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And I think that's the key. God was fighting for Israel and he gave them the opportunity to finish the battle. Okay. So the five kings... You know, when the battle started turning against them, they uh, they flee, but they are, they hole up in a cave, Joshua commands that the cave be sealed and guards posted, they go on to finish uh, pursuing the rest of the army, and, and, and in that regard, they come back, then the five kings are executed, after they uh, are brought out from the cave they're hiding in, and the Israelites continue to their conquest down in the southern part of the land. And I'll bring that map up, back up again in a second. But uh, that's what happens. They have the victory. And so important lesson from chapter 10, basically stay on the mission. You know, they had captured the kings. It's not over. They're still fighting to, to finish. And so they do that. They, they hold the kings in the cave until they finish the battle. Or, or pretty much finish the battle, but they stay on mission. And that's what we need to do. You know, we have, when we uh, think we've had a victory or a, a, a high point, there's still more to do. There's always more to do. So stay on mission. Don't rest, I guess, is the the biggest thing, at least for a long time. Yeah, regroup, re-strategize, but stay on mission, stay focused. All right, so this concludes the Southern campaign. they Destroyed all the strongholds in the south. Uh, on cha- from chapter ten, we go to chapter eleven, and it's the, the northern uh, part of the country is is, uh, is what's left. So, some of the cities in this uh, northern that are mentioned: Hazor, Madon, Shimron, Oxfath, Irabah, Kinneroth, and Dor, which is on the coast. These are some of the cities mentioned in uh, chapter eleven that Joshua and the Israelites. Uh, engage so chapter 11 we read that the kings of the north unite against Israel just like in the south but the, uh, it appears that the uh, northern uh, kings were a lot more had more soldiers they had chariots and, uh, and so they were a much more formidable force but it doesn't matter because the Lord reassures Joshua that he's fighting for them they're going to have the victory no matter what the uh, forces against them are they're going to win, and that the battle really is already won, you know, from God's perspective. So God tells them what to do after they win the battle, what they were going to have to do, which was hamstring the horses and burn the chariots. He didn't want Israel to be confident in these weapons or these uh, accessories. He wanted them to trust him, and I think that was the purpose of of burning the chariots and, and hamstringing the horses. Now, This fulfilled God's judgment on the Canaanites. Remember, uh, uh, when Abraham uh, was sojourning in in the land, uh, God had told him that uh, Israel was going to serve for 400 years until the Canaanites' sin had reached its full measure. And so uh, this was the end of of that, uh, when that judgment came upon them. We also read that Joshua cuts off the Anakim, and that was in uh, verse 21. Now, the Anakim, they were the, the people that uh, the original 10 of the 12 spies sent out by Moses. They're the, these are the people that they feared. They were the giants. They were the ones that made them look like grasshoppers. So uh, nothing's too tough for God. Nothing's too tough for God. He under- had Joshua, and Joshua cuts them off. They were good warriors, but God was with Israel. So then the land had rest from war, it says. That's that's the conclusion of of chapter uh, 11. Now, there was still fighting to be done. We're going to see that in a minute. But uh, basically for the nation as a whole, as, as one group, there was rest. So important lessons we can learn from chapter 11 is that the enemy will unite against us. You know, it's not just always going to be one or two. We could be finding ourselves in in a lot of hostility, anger, resistance, uh, or ridicule from many sources, not just one or two. So just remember that we are uh, in the world, but we're not of the world. And the world is going to be challenging and opposed to us in, in our work for God. So our mission is... Not to be popular, not to be uh, wealthy, but it's to be making disciples. That's our mission. All right, so that concluded really the majority of the fighting in the book. The rest of the fighting, as we see from this map, the green is the uh, area that had yet to be conquered, which is significant when you look at this map. The reddish uh, area was what was destroyed. Now all the strongholds in, in there were destroyed. So it wasn't that they couldn't, the tribes couldn't do it. Would they do it? And we find out uh, that, that they didn't always do that, finish driving out the inhabitants. So why didn't God do it? Why doesn't God do it for us? Well, when we read Exodus 23, uh, 29 through 30, I want to turn back there. God says, I will not drive them out before you in a single year. That the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out, God promised. I will drive them out before you, little by little, until you become fruitful and take possession of land. Now, this was contingent upon them obeying him and following the Mosaic law. But you may think that, you know, things in your life, hey, God, why aren't you doing this faster? What's taking so long? Right? Right? How many of us have done that, you know, guilty? But, you know, God knows what's best for us. We have to trust him because he knows what's best for us. We don't. We don't always know what's best for us. So by doing and putting our trust in him, it eases all that anxiety, all that uh, nervousness, all that uh, jealousy of, you know, hey, somebody else, they're succeeding and I'm here stuck. Just remember, God has you in his hand. Okay. Chapter 12 is just basically, if you read it, it's just a list of all the kings that Joshua defeats. Uh, The kings east of the Jordan, the kings defeated in the south, and then the kings defeated in the north. When you look at uh, it closer, there's only two kings that ruled the whole eastern side of the Jordan. uh, Og and... uh, I can't think of the other guy. Um... Sixteen kings were in the, in the south, 15 in the north that are listed in, in chapter 12. And so from chapter 12, what can we learn? Anyone out, want to guess? We have a fight because this chapter 12 really concludes the first section of the book, which is the conquest of the land. Chapter 13 starts the second division, which is the division of the land. And we're going to get there shortly. But we have a fight. Now, who said that? Pastor Dave Rosen said that back in September of 2020 when he was teaching the uh, Christian Life of Paul series and was in first, uh, the first chapter of Philippians. We read in verse 27 that you are standing, this is uh, Paul writing to the Philippians, he, he's encouraged and he's happy when he hears that they are standing firm in one spirit with one soul contending for the faith of the gospel. And also as John Miles has been uh, sharing with us in his study on Jude, telling uh, him, that uh, his readers, that that they earnestly contend for the faith in Jude 3. So it's it's a great uh, thing to keep in our minds that, yeah, we have a fight. We are in hostile territory. We are in Satan's world. We're not of the world, but we're in his world. Not that we're supposed to be going and and destroying, killing, and burning, and whatever, those things. No, that's... That's not God's plan for us. We are to spread the gospel, share the love of Christ, uh, what he's done for us, to others who need to hear it. And we all have members of our list to hear what God, that God has done for them and that he loves them. All right, so contend for the faith. Just as God spoke to Joshua in chapter 1, you know, be strong and, and, and courageous. So contend, it's a word that means to stand up, challenge, struggle, fight. That's what the word contend means, in case you were unsure of that. Now chapter 13 begins the, the, the second section, as I said. God tells Joshua the land. He, he lists all the land that's still, we saw in that, on that map, the area in the green. He points out those are the areas still to be possessed. And, and Joshua is supposed to go ahead and, and start doing that. And then he goes into a rehash of of what was given to the tribes on the east side of the Jordan, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. So that was chapter thirteen, just a a summary of what had already been God had already given to uh, two and a half of the tribes. And there's there's the map again. The green area was the ones yet to be conquered. What can we uh, learn from chapter thirteen? Well, sometimes if you ask God for something. He may grant it. Now, the tribes that, that got their land east of the Jordan, they had asked God, hey, this is good land for, for cattle and livestock. Can we have this for our inheritance? And, and God said, okay, he may do that for you if you ask for things. He may not. Why? Because he's sovereign and he knows what's best. He knows way in advance what's going to happen. So it may be good for you, may not. So he might withhold that from you. But anyway, uh, in this case, the tribes on the east. They received their inheritance. That's why they went and led the uh, Israelites into the land because it was up to them to protect the rest of the tribes. They had already received their inheritance. Okay, there's there's a breakdown. And again, this is a map I got out of Lagos. But uh, it shows a rough breakdown of the tribes. You can see on the east side of the Jordan at the bottom, Reuben in the reddish, Gad in the purple, and uh, Manasseh in the light brown. Significant land. I mean, that's a lot of land right there for just three tribes when you compare it to the rest. But, you know, God knows what he's doing. So here's an observation from the text. When we look at the breakdown of the uh, dispersion or the division of the land, and I showed this uh, when I went through this. uh, I forget when it was, but when I did chapter 14 or when I did the whole series. Judah, their allotment was dispersed described in detail in 63 verses, Ephraim only 10, Manasseh 21, that includes both sides, Benjamin 18, Reuben, Simeon, Dan only 9, Asher and Naphtali 8, Zebulun and Issachar only 7, and Gad only got five mentioned in five verses worth of what their territory included. So I think it's obvious what's God's focus. Obviously, it's the tribe of Judah. Why? Why Judah? Because we've got to remember, Joshua fits into a broader uh, storyline of what the Bible is trying to, to show. It's showing God's uh, complete history of, of mankind, but he, he created the earth perfect. Sin entered into the world in Genesis 3, and God is now, from that point on, is, is showing how he's going to deal with the sin problem for mankind, how he's dealing with it. And what did he promise? He promised that there would be the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And then we see Abraham. The seed was going to come through Abraham and his family. And now this, that the, uh, Israel had grown into a nation large enough, they needed a land. They needed their own country, to, to land, so that the Messiah could be born in uh, God's timing and, and go to the cross on our behalf. So that's... Just an observation of the text, and you sometimes things like this are really, really emphasize where God's focus is in the story. Remember, God had said that, uh, or He had told Abraham, He would give him three things: the land, seed, and blessing. The land has now been being conquered and given to Israel. The seed had started with Isaac, but it wouldn't be completed until Jesus was born and went to the cross, and that would bring in eventually uh, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through the seed of the woman, our Lord Jesus Christ. So chapter 14 uh, starts out with the process for dividing up the land. Uh, You know, it's going to be done by lot before the Lord, so there wouldn't be any uh, challenge to being fair or not. It was going to be done by lot before the Lord. God was superintending the the division of the land to each particular tribe. Okay, so the inheritance to Caleb is mentioned. Now, uh, Caleb was one of the two spies, along with Joshua, that uh, he had wanted to go into the land. He wanted to go take it under Moses, and uh, was uh, overruled by the other ten and the people. So, but God had promised that He would in, walk into the land and receive His inheritance in the land, and so we read about that. In chapter 14, and we have blessings uh, from jo- from Joshua to Caleb, because he was a warrior. He was 85, and he was given the uh, one of the toughest Hebron was the city he was given, and there there were still Anakim there, and he he was 85 years old and had to uh, had a pretty rough. Uh, Retirement, if you want to put it that way it wasn't easy let 's put it that way it wasn 't easy what he was going to have to do to finish uh, securing his inheritance. all right, so what can we learn from chapter fourteen? Again, God re- gives rewards for faithful service. Remember, salvation has always been a free gift salvation is is freely given to to everyone who believes, but rewards are for faithful service. I mean we read in, in chapter I forget which chapter. In Revelation, the uh, twenty-four elders casting their crowns that they had received before the Lamb. Well, it, how terrible would it be if one of the king, one of those elders, didn't have a, king, a crown to, to to donate to throw in? Those come from service, faithful service. All right. So, chapter fifteen, we we've seen uh, uh, Caleb's inheritance given. Now, the rest of the lamb was that would be given to Judah is is laid out. And then, uh, cities were given to Judah, but it ends, the chapter ends with kind of a, a negative, which is that Jebusites are not driven out. Jebusites are not driven out. Now they lived in Jerusalem in that area. And so it's just foreboding that they still had work to do. Even when Joshua, this was after this was initially, uh, dispersed, Joshua wrote this years later, but, uh, Jebusites still had not been driven out. Okay, so important lessons from chapter 15. God's sovereign. He decides who gets what. Okay, and it may not seem fair to us from our sinful perspective. We're sinful creatures. We're, we're, we're covetous. We're greedy. We don't always get what we want. But that's not our call. That's God's perspective to, to bless us or, or not. Because he is the sovereign creator. Chapter 16, we read about the land given to Ephraim. Now Ephraim is Joshua's tribe. That's his tribe. And uh, we read in verse 9 that their territory was uh, located within the boundaries of Manasseh, which is kind of surprising. Uh, Manasseh was a much larger uh, land given to them. And we're going to read about that coming up in 17, but uh, verse 9 says that, makes that that point that Manasseh surrounds the territory given to Ephraim. And then, again, there's a negative uh, comment at the end of this, of chapter 16, that the Canaanites were not driven out. So there's failure to complete the mission that God had given them. Okay, and now in chapter 16, our lessons that we want to learn, again, God is sovereign. He decides who gets what. But also, sometimes our blessing may be part of someone else's. Now, we live in a country that's ruled by a president. If we have a good president. We're going to be blessed also. If we have a bad president or bad leaders, we're going to suffer just as them. So, and then even if your parents, if your parents are, are faithful to the Lord... You're going to be growing up in a home that's full of love and, and happiness and, and blessing. And if not, well, it's a struggle. It's a challenge. And that's the, the situation our, our country today is finding our, ourselves in. We don't have parents who are together raising their family in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That's why we need a revival. That's what uh, God can do. He, we can't do, we can't ensure blessing upon ourselves. God has to do it for us. So that's great lessons to, to remember. Now, chapter 17, we read the land given to Manasseh, that tribe. Now, half of the, the tribe had already been given their land on the uh, east side of the Jordan. This spells out the the, the borders of, of on the western side. But at the end, after they've been given it, they make a complaint to Joshua. And the complaint is, hey, we need more land than, than what you've given us. <laughs> because they they couldn't or they weren't willing to drive out the Canaanites in the valleys. They, so Joshua said, well, clear the land. Either, either you, you take care of the valleys and drive them out, take that land, or you cut down the trees in the hill country and, and take that. Uh, but they had plenty of land. It wasn't that, that wasn't the issue. It was that they weren't completing the mission that, that God had given them to drive out all the Canaanites. They said that there were, the, the Canaanites had iron chariots. Uh, we'll never defeat them. But Joshua reminds them that they're strong, and they were strong enough to do the job if they were allowing God and trusting God to do, lead the battle. And, and he, Joshua tells them flat out, you're not getting any more land, that's it. So uh, they have a, a, re, a strong rebuke by Joshua at the end of chapter 17. So that concludes where I left off uh, the last time, I think it was in March that I taught that chapter. So now we're going to look at chapter 18. But let's first of all, I'm getting ahead of myself, lesson from chapter 17. Again, God is sovereign. He decides who gets what. But also, sometimes you may have to work extra hard to get the blessing, the full benefits of the blessing that God gives you. It'd be like somebody gives you an old car. Well, if you restore it, it's a great car. If you just let it, it as is maybe it's not so great so sometimes the blessing that God gives you requires some extra work as in this case uh, the Ephraimites and and the Manasseh uh, descendants had to continue to drive out the Canaanites to make their inheritance to get all the blessings from it okay so that's that and that helps develop character within us if we're working hard we're not uh, wasting our time Okay, so now, chapter 18. All that is done. Now we can begin some new, new material. And chapter 18 is the inheritance for Benjamin. Now, we know that the first king of Israel was from the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saul. And this is an outline that, that goes through the chapter Um, first section is the remaining seven tribes, verses 1 through 10, and it covers the gathering at Shiloh. The challenge given by Joshua, spies are sent out. Spies come back with a report, and then Joshua casts lots for those seven tribes. And the first lot that came up was for Benjamin. And and so the rest of the, the chapter, 11 through 20, covers the land given to them, and 21 through 28 is the cities given to them. Okay, so, in, uh, you can see it in the map there. Benjamin is that, it's kind of blurry, but it's a light brownish color below Ephraim in the purple and between Judah on the south. So they're sandwiched between those two tribes, Ephraim on the north, Judah on the south. So let's, let's get going here. In... Uh, Joshua chapter 18, verse 1, we read, Then the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. So there's peace in the land so they can get these things done of dispersing and, and, and dividing up the remainder of the land for the final seven tribes. Shiloh is kind of centrally located uh, in Israel. It's uh, close to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal where they had their uh, memorial service in or uh, yeah the service there at the mountains and the tent of meeting was there. Now I, if you read uh, Moses, the tent of meeting is first mentioned. It's a temporary structure. And I was confused. I had asked John Miles about what the tent of meeting here was. Was it the tabernacle? Yes, it is a tabernacle. the tabernacle. The first dimension of the tent of meeting was just a temporary structure that was located outside the camp while they were in the desert uh, before Joshua's time. But once the tabernacle was completed, the ten of meeting was what, or the temple was was what it was was called. Uh, There it is in the Hebrew. Ten of meeting. Ohel, Moet, Moed. All right, so Eleazar and Joshua and the elders are the ones who are uh, gathering together before the, the uh, tribes, and, the, and they're the ones who are going to be in charge of, of casting the lots and, and dividing up the land to the individual tribes. Okay, so there remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. We already saw that. And Joshua said, so Joshua says to the sons of Israel, how long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord your God has? The God of your fathers has given you. Now, that verb in the red there, translated put off, and it's kind of an unusual construction. It's a hithpael participle from the, the Hebrew verb Rafa. And it's used two other times in Joshua, as a matter of fact, meaning in, in verse 5 of chapter 1, it means fail. It's translated fail. And in chapter 10, verse 6, abandon. So that's the sense of the word. They, they, weren't, they weren't taking charge of the situation. They were failing and they had abandoned what God had done for them. He wants them to, to get in there and take possession of the land. And they haven't done it as yet. They've, they've stayed at Gilgal uh, uh, for whatever reason. So there's, there's a charge against them. So Joshua says, Provide for yourselves three men from each tribe that I may send them and they may arise and walk through the land and write a description of it according to their inheritance. Then they shall return to me. So... Joshua's going to send 21 men into the land to scope it out, write and record everything about the land so that they can make seven fairly equal parcels uh, and come back with a written description. It's got to be in writing. He wants them to write it down. Then they, then they will, when they give their report, they shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall stay in this territory because they've already been given their land. And the house of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh will stay in their ter- 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 territory in the north. And then uh, here's their instructions You shall deg- describe the land in seven divisions, bring the description here to me, and I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. So God, again, was going to be superintending the cere- the dispersion, the ceremony of, of them doing that. The, in the red there, the verb katav. A cal imperfect means to write. So this had to be written down. It had to be written down. There had to be no doubt about what was uh, given to each of the tribes. You know, it couldn't be just verbal, where things could be misinterpreted, mis- misunderstood. It was going to be written down. And again, they mentioned this many times in the book of Joshua the Levites don't have a, an inheritance, a land inheritance. The Levites have no portion among you because the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. That happened under Moses. Uh, Gad, Reuben, and the half tribe of Manasseh also have received their inheritance uh, eastward beyond the Jordan, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. So uh, many times this is repeated over and over just so it's, it's clear in everyone's mind that the Levites were not to get the land, any of the land per se. We're going to see that they do get cities given to them to live in. And that comes up, uh, I think it's in chapter 20 or 21. And then, and then they'll be able to live in those cities. But the land, the territory itself was going to belong to the other tribes. All right, so then the men go in, as Joshua commanded them. And they describe the land, as Joshua says here, go and walk through the land again and describe it. Return to me, and I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. Again, before the Lord. Keep that in mind. God is always overseeing all of the uh, dispersion and division of the land. So verse 18, verse 9. So the men went, passed through the land, described it by cities in seven divisions in a book, and they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh. Now, it doesn't say how long they took for this. (laughs) I, I wish they had. It would have been interesting to know just... Curiously, how long it took them to pass through all the uh, remaining territory. We saw in the green there, it's a substantial amount of land for them to go through. Probably took a couple of months. And then Joshua cast cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And Joshua divided the land to the sons of Israel according to their divisions. So I'm sure as they gathered together, those lots were thrown, which tribe... Okay, Benjamin, which land, this chunk here, that's yours. Probably very simple uh, when they got down to the actual uh, allotting of the territory to each tribe. All right, so verse 11, we start to read about what Benjamin receives. Now, the lot for the tribe of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot lay between the sons of Judah and the sons of Joseph, as I mentioned earlier. Verse 12. Their border, and if you want to read this, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these borders that they're given because it's hard to get an accurate accounting of where these cities were at that time. I mean, you're talking 1440 B.C. or 1400 B.C. A long time ago. So, but I think the the maps that, that I've brought up, that's the best we we can understand: the size of the territory and, and the general location. You know, they, they give the you know border of the north, the south, the east, and the west. The east side we'll see is, is the Jordan and some of the cities here. border extended from there and turned around to the west side so it goes up and down, it goes around I mean it's very uh, hodgepodge in the description I mean I'm sure if you were living there in in that time you'd know exactly where they were talking about the south side was from the edge of Kiriath-Jerim which is mentioned quite a few times in the uh, Old Testament and then the border went westward to the fountain of the waters again interesting to know that the border went down from the edge of the hill, which is in the valley of Ben Hinnam, which is in the valley of Rephaim, northward. But there were Jebusites there, uh, around the, their their border with Judah, and so we we read that all the way up through verses uh, to verse twenty. they conclude the Jordan was its border to the east side. This was the inheritance. All that land described in those verses uh, was the inheritance of the sons of Benjamin according to their families, according to its borders all around. Now, the rest of the chapter talks about cities that were uh, allotted within that territory. It it wants to point out some of the cities. And it would be interesting to have time to do a, a real study on each of those cities because some of them Are common. As I said before, uh, King Saul was from uh, the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, When you read the book of Judges, there's a civil war with the tribe of Benjamin, the other tribes uh, uh, against the tribe of Benjamin. And it's interesting how that plays out. And the apostles, uh, Saul of Tarsus, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. So, very interesting when you read uh, what happens. These. It's very small in there, but uh, I think population did have an effect on the land that they were to receive. And so that is chapter, uh, that's chapter 18. Chapter 19 is all the re- remaining tribes in chapter, chapter 19. Chapter 20 we're going to get to is the sanctuary cities, the cities of refuge six three on the east side of the Jordan three on the west and we'll get into a lot more detail about them and then chapter 21 is the uh, uh, cities of the of the Levites that I was given I hope to get there because chapter 22 is my favorite uh, uh, chapter in the whole book and I'm, I'm really anxious to, to get there but we got we got three or four more chapters before we get there and uh, so just wanted to Go through this Benjamin receives their inheritance and uh, interesting because uh, Benjamin like I said has, has a, a com- conflict with the house of David, tribe of Judah over time and we see that in, in first and second Samuel. there's that challenge there. so what we want to understand though is that God is sovereign. He, he dispersed the land, to who we wanted to have it in, in the locations, to, get, to give each of the tribes an inheritance that they could prosper. And, and all they had to do was to continue to obey God, put God first, obey the law, and, and God would protect them. He would bless them. And we see, as we read those foreboding verses at the end of uh, the other chapters, they failed. And we fail. So we can't, Uh, Hold ourselves uh, or be self-righteous because we are—we're all sinners. We all fail. We don't uh, do everything we should do all the time. But we are saved by God's grace, and that's the key. And we see God fulfills His promise to Abraham, and He's going to fulfill His promises to us. We have such a glorious future in Christ because of what He's done, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because He loves us. He has prepared a future for each of us that love him and trust him. So uh, until until next time, which I have no idea when that will be, we're going to look at chapter 19, which is the inheritance for those remaining six tribes. And, you know, it kind of sounds like they're not important, but they are important because all Israel uh, benefited and was under the covenant that God had, had made with them. So, and, and don't think that you're, you're left out or that somebody's more important than you. We are all God's children by his grace. So do, do what God commands. Love him. Obey him. Love one another. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Because these are the things that God wants us to do and share his love with each person as we have opportunity. Because God had said... Uh, We're we're saved by grace through faith for good works that he's prepared in advance that we would walk in them. So that's it for for now. Till next time when I get to do 19, we see the tribes, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. Dan's an interesting case. I want to really get some study on that because they don't appear to take their original allotment. They are not uh, in obedience, I guess. For some reason, and I haven't really studied this too, too deeply yet, but Dan ends up north of uh, where they originally were allotted. So something to think about as we go, go forward. But uh, Joshua, again, is, is a great, great study. And as God said to Joshua, we should apply it in our lives. Be strong and courageous because God wants us to be uh, doing his work and not to be fearful or afraid or shy. Be, be bold, be strong, be courageous. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you as we've learned about uh, your people Israel as they conquered the land that you had uh, promised them, that you were leading that charge, you were, you were making it uh, easy for them to go in and do and take possession but father it was your your victory your glory because of who you are you you've done it all for us as well Uh, we are sinners born sinners but because of your grace and the work of the lord jesus christ on the cross on our behalf we have life and that is that life is in you you have given it to us for your glory father help us to remember these things to be strong, to be bold, to be courageous, to utilize the time we have, to redeem the time, and to uh, share your love with those who need to hear that you have a plan for them, that you have sent your son to die for their sins, that they may have life, and that we can uh, glorify you in time before you come and gather us together to be with you. Help us to remember that uh, we can be deceived, we can be Uh, Tricked, Father, help us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as we go forth in our own mission fields here in this in this land that we are, uh, which we recognize as falling apart and decaying and getting more and more dark as each uh, day goes by. Father, we just pray your continued blessing upon our nation. We pray that there will be revival, that you will protect us as we go forth in the world because you love us and that we have a mission to make disciples. Be with us always as we depart now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.